my like pop filter has gone flaccid. Oh, that I got a pill for that. <laughs> Check your tea. Perfect. I have a pill for that. <laughs> what? Oh no. Welcome to Nerd It Here Weekly, the podcast about entertainment news and and stuff that we tried out this week. Uh, it's a weekly grab bag episode. This is something we'd like to do once a quarter in case you're new. We like to take a little bit of time away from the news and what's happening. Who are you laughing at? Once a quarter? <laughs> once a season. That was not even a laugh. That was a burp. It was a burp. <laughs> Fine. We do it once a season. We take a minute away from what's going on and actually try some stuff out and let you, our lovely listeners, know whether or not it's worth checking out. So this week, my experimental guinea pigs are Deepak Chitness. Uh, hello. Fred Neighbor. What's up, party people? I'm particularly proud of this episode. <laughs> and a friend from work, Jackson Trahan. And I hope I get to be head guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, remember, if you see yourself out there on the catwalk, just let that good-looking bastard go along his way. We don't <laughs> need time travel paradoxes here. All right, so each of us, this week we we decided to switch up the grab bag format a little bit. Instead of just doing something we'd never seen before, each of us got something that was a little lower profile this year. For the most part, none of us got anything that was on our best casual. of lists from a couple of weeks ago, with the exception of Deepak for some lore reasons. <laughs> Jack, what were you going to say? I was just going to say I, I uh, it was definitely more casual than when I had to watch all the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little more laid back than a consume an entire piece of intellectual property in a week or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to shoot around. We're going to talk about what we tried out this week and whether or not we think it passed the test. And, I mean, we're all very excited to hear what Deepak thought about Stanley Parable. So, mm. <laughs> Deepak, let's have Jack maybe give an introduction of his perspective on Stanley Parable. And then you can say maybe what your relationship to it, how it compared to what our thoughts on it are. Jack, do you want to be our representative? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Happy to. Um, so, the Stanley Parable has as far as video games go, had a pretty storied history. Uh, it was first released as a Half-Life 2 mod uh, by a game developer, well, at the time, maybe just a modder called uh, named Davey Reedon. It was later remade as a standalone product in the Source engine, and it was released, I think, uh, I think the mod was in 2011 and the real game was in 2012 or 2013. Um, it's 
received a few like updates things like Mac support and ports to other consoles. It was a huge hit. Um, it sort of, uh, for its, I don't know how to phrase it, sort of strange sense of humor and awareness of what it is, um, as well as its story, which does exist in spite of the game's best efforts to the contrary. Um, <laughs> the game was maybe best known for its wide variety of endings and the achievements in the Steam page for getting each one. Uh, some achievements in the Steam page also included things like don't play the game for, I think, six years uh, or play the game for the entire I actually year thought that that was going to be... Uh-huh. I was just curious if... because so, so, Jack, you've done a great job of laying the foundation here for what the Stanley Parable is. Now, Deepak, we asked you to play a re-release called the Stanley Parable, I think, Ultra Deluxe Edition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is the um, latest version that and, got released. Yeah. Although I'm not quite sure what's ultra deluxe about it. Maybe you guys could tell me. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we can definitely get into it a little bit. Um, I had kind of wondered, Jack, if the if this had come out on that anniversary of that achievement where it's like, don't play the game for six years oh, or whatever. Oh, gosh, that would be great. Uh, let, me de- let me double check. I also remember one of them was play the game for the entirety of a Tuesday. Yeah. Like yeah. for 24 hours on a Tuesday. <laughs> So these things that you guys are talking about with playing it on a Tuesday or not playing it for six years, are these things that are somehow enforceable by Steam or by yes. the – okay. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, like the yeah. same way that like if you got a trophy for killing 100 guys in Halo, right, Deepak? Like yeah. it just tracks your in-game events with certain pieces of code and if you do a thing, you know, it'll give you a virtual trophy for it. Um, but then so, you can't access the game for six years. No, no, no. It's like if you don't – then you get the. Oh, one. if I just go it. six years without playing it. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. Then you'll get an achievement. It's just silly stuff like that. Hmm. There's one for trying to jump, but it's not programmed in. So, Jack, you have done a really great job of laying down kind of, I think, a little bit the sense of humor of what this game is and a little bit the techie side of what this game is. Deepak, what was your experience booting up and playing? Uh, the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. I'd like you to take us a little bit through what it was just like for you sitting in front of your Xbox, how the game presents, and how you kind of explored that space. Fred and I were very curious about this last night when we were having drinks. Yeah, so it starts off, assuming it's the same or at least inspired by the developer who did the game you guys gave me last time, uh, the name of which escapes me at the moment. But uh, Yeah, made by the same person. That's what it is, thank you. Um, yeah, so you're employee 427 and you're in a cubicle isolated on your own at a company where you are, this is not ever part of the game, but it's just the backstory where it gives you, it tells this employee, you have to hit the M key for 34 seconds. You have to hit the P key for four seconds. And that's just his job. And of course he just like a zombie goes in and out. Uh, he goes in and, and does this every day and without question and it tells him that I think he likes that job, but whatever. So he goes in one day and uh, he finds out that he's the only person in the office. There's no one else there. There's no one sending him directions on the computer. So then you assume the role of the character and you start to explore the office space. Um, and none of the doors are opening except for like a broom closet where the narrator very cheekily tells you that you're an idiot if you stay in the broom closet. Um, and then did you, you start did to you stay in the broom closet. I did for a little bit just as – well, no, I did a little bit just because it seemed like there were tools there. There's like duct tape and a stapler mm-hmm. or a, well, literally a, a broom. Like the, the, so 
I did, once it became clear to me that see so apparently I did this wrong. I should preface this by saying that I didn't. I don't think got the intended ending of the game. Um, but I didn't stay in the broom closet. I did actually tend to follow what the narrator told me to do. Eventually, oh, this, is so this is what I want. Eventually, you end up in like Smithers' office or whatever his name is in The <laughs> Simpsons, and uh, you, you there's no one there. There's like a keypad in the back of the room. Uh, he repeatedly tells you the code is like eight four two five or something like that, um, but then it just kind of opens on its own once you spend enough time there, and that gives way to like Cerebro. Uh, or the the place from The Incredibles where he looks at the files to see how many superheroes have been killed. Uh, and then you're essentially, it's revealed that you work for a company that has something to do with mind control. And then it's about free will versus predetermined routes of fate, whatever. And you're given the choice as to whether or not you want to destroy the facility or not, um, which I did try to destroy um, actually by turning it on because the system was uh, not operational when you get there. Uh, by turning it on, though, then it becomes a thing where there's like monitors with different colors on them. You have to match up the colors. And when I did all that, it just exploded. But I guess it exploded with me in it. So then I reverted back to the beginning. And when I reverted back to the beginning, it took me like an hour and a half just to get to that point, And I was exhausted. So I said, I'm going to come back and do this later. And that unfortunately did not happen. So that is my experience wow. with the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Now you two, please pillory him with every single question you have because I have so many questions. <laughs> Go get him. So yeah, this is one of the things that I was pretty sure would happen. Yes, and this is exactly the outcome I wanted. This is about to be a season's worth of podcast content. Oh my god! Stringing this out. Um, so Deepak, the thing yeah. is, that is the exact ending I got the first time I played it as well. Okay. All right. um, and you're absolutely right. The game is about predeterminism versus yes. free will. That's the right. whole central idea. Yeah. Um, the game also builds on and undermines a lot of tropes inside of video games, um, which is probably why we waited so long to have you play this game. Because if this was the first video game you've ever played, I don't think you're going to get it. Um, hmm. And so I think like it's important. You that alluded to you it already, but idea. the most obvious thing is you did everything the narrator told you to, which is the thing that you are expected to do in a video game. But it is a thing that this game is prepared for you not to do. Yeah, so I found that out from the Wikipedia page after uh -huh. the fact, where it apparently is supposed to be ironic that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just the dummy noob gamer who just goes, yeah, if he tells me to go through the door... I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not terribly right. surprised that you... Yeah, no, but no, again, for that, sure. the first time I played that game, I did the exact same thing. Same. Mm -hmm. We all had the exact same. I, I, I don't know, Jack. Did you just go cowboy? Like, I mean, right maybe, but I'm also maybe the type Leroy of player Jenkins. who starts Mario games running to the left. So, you know, I'm a weird. And yeah, that's sort of right. the point. Yes. Yes. Um, so this, yeah. And, and Jack, actually, you just said something that had so many different ideas in it that are going to inform this conversation. I think I think Deepak, where we all are right now, is we would love you to go back and take a second pass at this when you have another ninety minutes free, and and just be a little looser in your exploration of the space, and then come report back. Doesn't have to be this week or whatever. I think we would all just love that. But now to fill out this conversation a little bit, Jack, do you want to sort of speak to what you're talking about when you say I'm the kind of person who starts Mario running to the left? Uh, yeah. Like that idea of game development and how you can guide a player. Right. So so it's a tricky business when you're making a video game because uh, 
players tend to want to have the ability to do whatever they want, but it is a developer's job to lead you, you know, ideally on a fun, good experience, which is easier to do when you know more strongly what the player is going to do. So there's sort of a balancing act there. Um, and there are a lot of tricks you can do uh, to sort of convince the player that they thought to go in this particular direction. Uh, in a lot of like open world free exploration type games, you should pay a lot of attention to things like color, especially like the Uncharted games are famous for coloring every ledge that you can climb yellow. And some players aren't even aware of this fact, uh, but they like instinctively see a yellow ledge and they'll just run towards it. So you can, you can do things like this to sort of guide a player. Uh, I mean, it happens in the first uh, part of the Stanley Parable. The first real choice is like hilariously telegraphed and everything in the office before that is just a linear hallway. So the games like maybe Strong Point are the reason that it got so popular in the first place amongst the quote unquote hardcore or really experienced video game players is because players who've played games a lot and are aware of these trends might purposefully try to buck them to see how far the game can go and where the limits of the game are, and it's really, really hard to find them in this game. Even if you try, like, jumping off of a platform in the middle of a cutscene, you can usually turn that into another ending. Or if you try to do the opposite of everything the narrator tells you, or if you decide halfway through you're going to trust the narrator, all of these things are different possible paths through the game. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think that's what prompted us, Deepak, to think, oh, let's see how Deepak bumps up against this game. Because, like, in the past on this show, we've talked about trying to get you to play Assassin's Creed, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. I and did like, play Assassin's Creed once. That was, yeah, that was, no, I remember. And you were like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. Like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know how I'm supposed to progress. I'm lost. Mm -hmm. I need direction. And this game is willing to offer you direction, but it is kind of prepared for you to not take it and and that is maybe where the more interesting parts of the game reside fred and you were asking me last night you said because we were we were playing a board game and having some wine with friend of the show tanner johnson and you said to me do you think tomorrow deepak's just going to have followed the narrator to the end and gone all right guess i played the stanley parable <laughs> yeah <laughs> what i think the big thing about Stanley Parable is the, the very minute you don't do what the narrator tells you to do, right? So it gives you that first choice. It's like, you know, Stanley came to two doors and he went through the door on his left. Mm -hmm. If you go to the door on the right, the game will immediately react to that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the variety of narration was shocking to me. Can I, can I also jump in real fast? I just wanted to mention, because it seemed like another part of like the whole video game tropes thing that might not have gotten through to you, Deepak, is um, I think the idea of the narrative, and to be fair, maybe this has changed in the deluxe version. I don't think I've tried it on that version. But the idea of the narrative is once you find this time con or this mind control machine, turning it off is to like thwart the machine and disable it and get rid of it. And turning it on is like trying to use it for your own nefarious purposes. That was the one time I think I disobeyed the directions mm -hmm. because when they said to destroy it, yeah, it just seemed too simple for me to just hit an off button and that would be sure. the end of it. No, that's fair. Um, so that's why in some respect I thought that I actually – what you guys were joking about last night, that I would just play it to completion and call it a day and just, you know, done. Um, 
that's kind of what I thought happened because I just thought it no, was like you, a martyrdom thing. Like, okay, yeah, you I, did I, rebel right yeah. at the very last choice because then the whole idea is it initiates the sequence with all of these pretty colors and toys and buttons that you can poke because people who've played a lot of video games will be used to the idea that if I poke the right buttons in the right order, I can stop all of this. But it's just not true. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do. And it's fun yeah. watching people who've played any video games be like, oh, what can I do? And run around futilely for two minutes. Can you really not do anything in that scene? I'm almost positive. I, again, maybe it changed oh in, in the new version. But no, I don't think there there's got to be some order I've spent of things. So cause... much time trying to figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> yeah. Can we just. We're going to come back to this, obviously. Deepak, we want you to go, you know, continue to explore this and report back and talk to us about how you feel about it all. Hmm. But as a little bit of a teaser, both to kind of stoke the flame under Deepak and get our get our audience excited for potentially us talking about the same video game several different times this year. <laughs> um, Fred and Jack, can I get both of you guys' favorite ending? But just like, yeah, you know, the one or two were like I would say... We all know the new one we've heard has the Elden Ring ending, right? right. I think that's very good. Yeah. I liked the <coughs> Minecraft one. Yes, right. Similar idea. Um, yeah. Mine is maybe these, the... These don't mean anything to me. Maybe the craziest one in the game, I think. Um, it's... I'll call it the line ending. Which, Did you say uh, line or lying? Line, L-I-N-E. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it does... It, it sort of tries to to trick you through the ending into thinking that it's done. It's like a Nolan move. <laughs> oh, 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 no, oh. No, yeah, I want to skip. You follow? Yeah. Yeah, no, stop. Yes, yes, that one. You, you know the one, Fred. I want to do um, the confusion ending. I like that yeah, one a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we're talking about the same one. All right, cool. Oh, okay, cool. End of episode. Well, no. End of <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Fred from Near Here Weekly. If you're listening to this, then you've already made it through a bit of our podcast already. And if you like what we do, you should consider subscribing. It's free, so it's already cheaper than the Netflix subscription you're not using anyway. And it really helps us out. So for the low, low cost of $0 a month, stay connected to everything NIHF has to offer. Thank you. For our second grab bag this week, let's go with Jack. Ah, I was muted. Okay. <clears throat> yes, hello. Uh, I'm Jack, and I was given a, a very unexpected thing. I was given a film, which wasn't unexpected. I'm terrible at watching movies, so this is good. Uh, I was also given a foreign film. This comes from the great land of Finland. Um... It's called Hatchling, and uh, it was a, a tight 90-minute, I'll, I'll say horror film. I think that's fair. Uh, I guess based on a Finnish folk legend. I, I'm not too familiar, but um, I know the story now, and it was real creepy. So, I'll, Jack, I'll set the stage, maybe. Sure. I mean, you were, you, you were the one who gave it to me. I don't know where you heard of this messed up stuff, but... 
Oh, yeah, sure. So so for people who want to know the background, the context around the film, yeah, Hatching premiered this year. It was a Sundance premiere uh, in uh, January 23rd, uh, 2022. It premiered at Sundance. Then it also won the Grand Prix and the Jury Prize um, at a European festival later that year. So it's just been one of those, like, festival things that's been bumping around. Um, it's been on a lot of people's, like, best films of the year list. And it's not really it done that well, kind of weird. Commercially. No, yeah, right. Um, I think largely that's because it is a uh, Finnish movie, a Finnish horror film. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that hasn't really had a large like uh, box office. You know, I I have never heard of it. And yeah, well, I think it Riley and I are as plugged in. into this stuff as anyone. Should I just run through it? Yeah, I think it basically did a. I think it basically did a festival screening, and that was it. So. Mm-hmm. So, Jack, I'll just set up where the movie starts, and then you can maybe talk us through mm-hmm. what it's about, right? Okay. Because the 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 idea, right, the setting is that you have a young woman, uh, and she's a gymnast who really wants to please her mom, uh, and her mom has, like, a blog about, like, her perfect family, right? Yeah, her mom's, like, an influencer. Like, it seems like her job. And then one day, the gymnast daughter comes home with an egg? No, not exactly. Oh, okay. Well, so, so where's this egg come from? Because there's an egg. A crow flies into their room, and um, she gets it under a blanket, and her mom's... It, like, breaks a vase, and she gets it under a blanket, and her mom's like, bring it here, and then she her mom breaks its neck, which really gives you sort of clues as to what sort of a person her mom is. Um, and then when she goes to throw it away, uh, it's, like, still moving. And then later she she finds it like limping through the woods. So she puts it out of its misery. And then she finds that it was like crawling towards this egg. And then she feels guilty. So that's why she brings it home. Okay. So it's a crow's egg. Uh, so then she, it, the, the movie progresses. She takes care of this egg while also doing her gym practice, which her mom is giving her a tremendous amount of pressure for. Mm-hmm. Um, the egg is getting bigger. She has to like hide it inside of one of her stuffed animals, and then one night, Wait, the egg is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Like eggs do. That's that's not how eggs. Uh, work. <laughs> well, mm. strap in for Fred's, this part. It's like I'm starting to smell smell something suspicious around here. Skeptical. Uh, oh, also, she has a new neighbor. That's important. And so then one day oh. at gym practice, um. She, like, is trying to get the last spot at their competition, but she can't land this trick. And so her mom makes her stay after to keep practicing it until her hands get all bloody. And then when she goes home and and touches the egg, it makes the egg glow. And then the egg hatches. Oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. And we get a... What's in the egg? Wait, I got a question. Well, yeah? What's 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 in the egg? What's inside it's the egg? A, is it a crow? I mean, it was it's a crow's egg, right? It's a very impressive puppet. Um, no, it's a it's a Ooh, big. It's a puppet. Well, that's in in real life. In the film, it's a crow person like creature. It's a bit like those. I'm just like, interested that it's not a CGI monster. Yeah, no, it's definitely a puppet, which I love. Um, that's why I mention it. I'm pretty sure it is, or it's rendered to really look like one, but. I mean, it it goes back and forth. No, they probably had no budget, right? So they had to do a puppet, which makes sense. It's just cool. Um, 
it 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 uh it's got this big old beak. It's sort of like those old prehistoric birds. It's real gross looking. Um, and so then it lives under her bed for a while. Then, gosh, does it really happen that fast? Like it must be the it's next a ninety thing. minute film, man. Right. So then I think the next. So her neighbor is also a gymnast and has uh is like competing for her spot. And she has this dog, the neighbor does. And the dog is barking, and it's annoying uh, Tinja, which is the girl's name. I didn't even mention. Um, and it's bugging Tinja, and then weird, creepy bird creature, like, jumps out the window. Oh, it runs away first, and then it comes back because it's all injured. And then it jumps out the window, and it goes and it kills the dog. It decapitates it. And brings her, like, the decapitated Ooh. corpse of her neighbor's dog, which makes her vomit. Which it then starts eating, like, how a baby bird eats its parents' regurgitated food. So that was cool. This That's really when movie, things Jack. start popping off. Yeah, sure. So for the rest of the movie, she sort of has to cover up for this weird monster that's, like, psychically linked to her. Um... And whenever she gets too irritated or upset with somebody, it will try to murder them. And uh, as it becomes more and more, as it feeds more. It's like her venom. Sort of. And as it feeds more and more on her uh, regurgitated, like she goes and buys bird seed and eats it until she throws it up because it's raw bird seed. And then it'll eat the bird seed. It's real, real gross. And as it eats more and more of this stuff, it starts to like look more like her. Uh, and this all culminates oh. in a in her neighbor while walking back from practice after getting the spot, or it seems like she's going to get the spot. Um, Tinja gets home and finds the the beak of the creature sitting on her bed, as it ripped the beak off and then went off to go attack her neighbor, and ends up like taking her hand off. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so she gets the spot <laughs> and then her mom okay e- well and that's sort of her mom's perspective on this whole thing which is horrifying um, I was oh, about to say where's mom through all this having an affair at one point oh. uh, early on she comes home and finds mom like in a tender embrace with with a repairman uh, and then later on, we find out the dad just sort of knows about it, and he says he's cool with it, but he's like, definitely not. Mm. Uh, so at one point, they actually... So how does it all end? Uh, well, I mean, I can say if you want me to. I don't know. It feels like spoilers. Well, no, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't realize you... I Continue your story. Well, so she... The, things continue. The creature is is looking more and more like her it rips off its own face and then like it starts to get stitched together into a human face and it's getting like human hair and um eventually it starts people start thinking that she is the creature when it's like doing its attacks Mm -hmm. uh and then at the end the family finds out about it they're all trying to hunt it down um, and the mom, uh, is gonna go kill it, but the, 
the daughter is like, oh, no, I hatched it. You you can't and like dives in front. So the mom stabs the daughter. And then as she's bleeding to death, the creature like eats the blood that comes out and is a perfect clone from then on. Uh, and then, well, that's sort of where it ends, but I feel like it's implied that it replaces uh, her daughter. Yeah. No, it sounds like it. Holy shit. <laughs> and this is based off of, like a Finnish folktale? They tell children this or whatever? It. Like, hey, be good in case the crow comes and eats your sludge and takes you over? Well, I think it's a, like a doppelganger thing, right? But, uh, I mean, well, I yeah, guess. Yeah, no, I get it. I, just, I don't know Jesus, what the moral is. H. It's like, because she's trying to satisfy. Listen to your mom, I guess. Right, but that's what she's trying to do the whole time. And that's the problem, so yeah. I don't know. Don't bring supernatural eggs home? That's the real answer. Like if you leave find, eggs out in if, nature. If you find um, an egg, you just leave it alone. Don't touch it. Uh, so, so Jack, I did find an article on The Verge about the creature specifically. Okay. And it's an animatronic. Oh. And there's a very good quote here that I'm going to read you that is from... Uh, a gentleman who worked on the, he was the animatronics designer, Gustav Hogan. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, the lube was a big, big factor. There is a lot of lube. I was going <laughs> to say, would you describe this thing as a pretty wet kind of juicy lube monster? Dude? For sure. At it's, one, it's, a, it's a squishy guy. At one point, it's like hovering ominously over the mom. Like, and she wakes up scared, Ooh. and the reason she knows that it's there is because she's all trip. covered in mucus. Yeah, oh. That's... Gotta love those practical effects, though. Yeah, mm. 100%. I'm gonna watch this just for the effects work, I think. Jack, one more question kind of about the creature itself from me, and then Fred, Deepak, if you guys have questions, I'd love, I'd love you guys to jump in on this, but... Um, how would you compare the look of it to, like, I feel like we would all kind of go to the Lucas Creature Shop as, like, the A tier of doing this. Mm -hmm. Do you, like, if that's the 10, where would you put this on the scale? Uh, Pretty, pretty high. Like, maybe yep. an 8. Like, again, definitely it was it was clear that it was physically there and like being operated. And there were some scenes, especially as it was more human looking with like a disfigured face where you would just see its body. Mm -hmm. And that was clearly just a person. So they were doing some, some mm. tricks, but it was, it was effectively done. I think. Cool. The amount of time it spends as a full crow monster is very low. It, it morphs to person pretty fast. There is a whole bathing scene though. Deepak, in the in the great era that we're in for for kind of lower budget horror movies, you know, how's this one? Where is it settling for you, kind of in the landscape of of these sorts of things? Is it making so, you think of anything else? Or, I mean, the obvious thing you mentioned a crow. I'm thinking the crow uh, <laughs> kind of sounds a little bit like splice, maybe. And obviously, with an egg, you're always thinking alien, but. Like I uh, like I said initially, I had never heard of this. So as Jackson was talking about all the plot elements, I of course decided to start looking at other things. So I wasn't really listening to him um, because I just want to go in as blind as possible. But um, it 
yeah, it sounds very, very weird and very, very interesting. I'm seeing a lot of divisive reviews about it. Some of the people that I tend to read most often, they either love it or they hate it. So mm. that's usually a good sign. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if, uh, so I guess it, it's an IFC midnight premiere, and then it also screened at Sundance, which is where I guess most people saw it uh, earlier this year. And I'm, I mean, look, you've got my interest. I, it wasn't on my radar. <clears throat> you and you and I, Riley, were just talking on another episode about uh, the streaming services and how Shutter kind of caters to the horror crowd, and uh, this seems like perfect fodder for what they would they would be into. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this sounds good. This sounds like what we need more of, you know, this kind of weird eclectic stuff that's foreign. And uh, the more people that are exposed to this kind of stuff through the streaming services or whatever, the better. So, yeah, more uh, points of view. Right. Also, that streaming services episode that you're talking about, Deepak, was a subscriber exclusive. So yeah. sign up, NIHF.com. Fred, I know you love weird movies with gross monsters. So The lobster. <laughs> I think I'm most kind of interested in, like, hearing about the horror specifically because I kind of always love like scary movies. Like I love a good ghost story, but this definitely doesn't sound like a good ghost story. It sounds like a type of horror movie I'm not really used to. And so like, how would you kind of describe the horror or fear factor in this movie, Jack? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, it's probably is body horror. Like, the the gross things are things like watching this gross creature do weird gross transformations or like it doesn't show the attacks as much as it shows the aftermath like you see a lot of corpses more than you see people being being moitered or or the the hand already being removed not the process of that happening things like that The whole vomit thing really turns me off. I don't know if I'd... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. <laughs> that part, too. Pretty, pretty gross. That's how I would summarize it. It seems more gross than scary, is all. Hey, it's Deepak from Nerdy Here First, here to tell you guys about our subscriber-only podcast that Riley and I did talking about. Our favorite war, the streaming wars, uh, talking about where we stand right now on Netflix, Prime, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Peacock, so on and so forth, where they all stack up against each other. And uh, the really fun thing was also going back to about two and a half years ago, just before the launch of Disney+, Plus, and seeing where we thought they were then and where they were going to go versus where they are now. So it's this cool referendum piece on uh, how streaming is going and where we think the future is headed at this point in time. Uh, we'll probably check back in in another couple of years and see how uh, how right or wrong we were. But for now, subscribers only get our brilliant insight into the streaming services and uh, everything that is uh, in and around them. So subscribe to nihf.substack.com for this and more great content, especially on the website. We've got a lot of uh, good stuff up there as well. Casting Fantastic Four, talking about uh, various home media options for upcoming releases like Everything Everywhere All at Once and so on and so forth. So nihf.substack.com, be a subscriber, you don't want to miss out. I'll go next. I picked one that I thought all you guys would have ample questions about because I can't post my own segment. I watched Halo, 
The Halo TV show? I, wa- I watched the Halo TV show. All right. Does anyone have questions about Tell the Halo, about Halo TV Halo. show? How good is it? How faithful is it? And do they just readapt the sto- the the first game, or is it like a original story? So yeah, okay. I think I can answer all of those things with a summary, and we'll go from there. So the Halo TV show is ostensibly a prestige television program that is currently running on Paramount Plus. It was in development as a movie for, I'd say, about a decade. Mm. There were many, many different people who were kind of batting that baton around. Uh, You won't be surprised to hear there was a Guillermo project at one point. Peter Jackson. Who? Peter Jackson. Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yes, Peter Jackson was on it at one point. Um, Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, he was ready to go. He like Mm -hmm. had it in in. I think pre-production and then they yoinked it from him. Mm-hmm. So so this thing has been out there for a long time. Most recently, Steven Spielberg was producing the movie and Amblin is certainly involved in this production. It is, however, a Showtime production um, that somehow ended up airing on Paramount+. Plus. I think they're actually about to bring all the Showtime stuff in-house at Paramount. So they might have just wanted to get ahead of the curve on this. For whatever reason, there you are. That's how it's being presented to you. That's just a part of the story I wanted to provide. Um, it is, I think, eight episodes. Um, and it does center around our galactic hero, Master Chief. But I would say not in a way that you would expect. Uh, the story is definitely not just yoinking uh, whatever plot there was in Combat Evolved, the first Halo game, and turning it into a TV show. Uh, They are tremendously benefited by the fact that they are looking at the Halo property as a whole and kind of saying, all right, what ideas have we bumped up against in the past that might be interesting? Um, And so they looked at all that, and here's how they chose to present the information. Our inn is centered on a small, like, settlement on a planet that is under control of the galactic whatever business there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff jargon that i didn't pull guys um but you know master chief's bosses they they're part of that whole deal and they're a resistance holdout and they're it's like probably 10 minutes talking about how bad the space marines are and the spartans particularly right yeah Mm. then they get attacked by a group of aliens which we know are covenant but they don't say that alien covenant Um, yep And then they are shooting the place up, and then four Spartan soldiers show up. One of them is our great friend Master Chief, and the others are Silver Team Fred. Um, And and they they quickly eliminate all the all the bad guys. And there's a lot of first person when like the shields are down. That was really great fan service, but I imagine would have just been absolutely like intolerable for anyone who hadn't played these games. Was there heavy breathing when someone got hit? Oh, the whole nine yards. When the shields go down, it's the beeping in the ears. It's, oh, yeah. uh, was it like Carl s- Urban's Doom? Like, did you guys ever see it where they, he like the one with the rock? He goes, yeah, he goes like first person and you like, it's the video game. Yes. No, yeah, it's, here's what it's like, Fred. It's like Halo. I don't know if you've played the game Halo. I'm out of it. Yeah. It looks like that. Um, the Beyonce thing, yeah. But there's only like, there's only like two or three shots that are like that. But just when they did that, I was like, God, people are switching off right now. 
Um, the effects are pretty good. There was a shot I couldn't actually tell. I went back and watched it again. They might have actually flipped a car and then had to animate like the covenant smashing into it in post, like which would be interesting for a show, right? It's clearly big budget. It doesn't really look as nice as I think they want it to look. I think they want this to be Game of Thrones, right? Mm. And it's yeah, it's not like it's Battlestar Galactica or whatever, right? Like it's it's a cool sci-fi show for people who like Halo. Like I don't know how many people who aren't interested in this property or at least like people who have CBS or Paramount Plus for Star Trek and there's no Star Trek on right now. So they might watch Halo, right? Like that's who I think the audience is for this. I don't know that people. Who so it's it not like, for the uninitiated. I would think that people are going to have a really hard time if they don't know at least a little bit about the game. Now, that being said, like, he doesn't have Cortana. And there's a whole, like, Halsey is a major character. See, like, you have to know who Halsey is. Um, Dr. Halsey, who is the creator of, like, the Spartan program, right? And there's a lot of talk about, like, Fred, what's it called? Mental mesh? Mental lace? Oh, the Neuralink? Neuralink, yes. Mm. Like, that's what the show's about, is, like, she's developing that. And right, the, so, it's, like, about the government working with Halsey. And, like, there's a B-plot that is Master Chief with the one girl who survives this this place that I told you about at the beginning where the aliens attack. Mm-hmm. Mm. They find, like, this artifact, and Master Chief goes AWOL, kind of. Like, he goes rogue. And he and this girl are going to figure out what the deal is with this artifact. And I believe it's going to lead them to the Halo. Uh, I thought then, you were saying that they cast Halsey as Cortana. No, well, well, kind of, because... <laughs> like the singer. Not the singer. Oh. <laughs> um, there is a plot about Cortana, but it's like Halsey has cloned herself and is like using the clone to develop an AI system that is just like her own consciousness uploaded to the internet or whatever, so then she can be with John all the time. It's wild. Can I... Um, it's, get in here, Fred, please. Right. Um, how much about... Halo lore outside of the games would you say you guys know? Zero. Okay. Very, very rudimentary. Okay. Uh, Jack, how about you? I mean, yeah, quite close to zero. Okay. So, all right, so Riley's saying a lot of things that are like, oh yeah, that tracks. And uh, like, and you're, you're pinging a lot of buzzwords for me, Riley. Um, so the first thing you guys have to understand is Cortana is a, like the way they make AI in the Halo universe is they make a digital copy of a human brain, right? So Cortana is Halsey. Right. That makes sense. And the government is like, you can't do this. This is in the show. This is what's happening is the government's like, absolutely not. We are not cloning people. We are not uploading brains to the internet or whatever. Shut this shit down. But that's like an ethical thing on their part or what? Yeah. Yeah. But Halsey also is an unethical person. Halsey doesn't give a shit because she's a completely amoral person who just wants to see if she can make effective super soldiers. Hmm. Which is where the whole Spartan 2 thing came from and she like abducts kids and Yeah. And that's what John is getting the memories of being a child when he touches this artifact and that's why he's like let's go see where the halo is. Um by the way, just want to point out, I keep calling him John, not Master Chief, because they call him John, not Master Chief throughout the entire show. I think he probably wears the helmet for about one episode. And then after that, he like puts it on for fight scenes. So it's not like a Mandalorian thing. It's the opposite of a Mandalorian thing. 
Um, so also the UNSC was kind of dickish to the normal population, but there's like a solid reason for that. And I'm surprised they didn't go into it. Um, what they did, and I'm not, I will say I'm not surprised by this just because it's like television storytelling, right? What they went with was like, see, there's actually aliens we're protecting you from. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. Um, so what the covenant would do is they would like attack people and then follow the fleeing ships to other places where humans lived. Mm. And then that's how they found them. Uh, these people did not have ships. I'll tell yeah. you that. They were. Um, so like, so then the UNC like goes, okay, we're going to spend travel. No one's flying anywhere without our permission. And they get like real totalitarian, but they don't tell anybody it's because that there's like an alien threat. And so all these like Loki farmers are like, all right, well, we're just being like oppressed and so they start fighting, but it's really like, no, we're doing it. We do have a good reason. We're just not telling anybody because, you know, secret panics or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, like there are like uprisings. And originally that's what the like Spartans are set up to fight. <laughs> it's like other people, which is terrifying. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what they talk about in the opening is they're like, yeah, man, you don't go up against Spartans. They will. Like there's this guy like, I don't know. I've taken no Marines before. And they all just laugh at him. Um, okay, Jack, do you have any questions about the Halo TV show? Uh, so is it, it's all just about setting up the Spartan program, Seth? I mean, they're out there doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, John is a Spartan, he just doesn't have, like, the Cortana aspect of it yet. Okay, so, so do you you get that to reach, right? Do you actually get them fighting the aliens? Yes, you get them fight, like, the opening sequence is, like, John fighting Covenant. Okay, so I guess his, I'm unclear on what the actual squad. plot and there's a is. Lot of, if it's not about like, is, yeah, is it about Cortana? Like, what is he doing this whole time? Just they cut to him fighting yeah, aliens. So, no, so yeah, there's a plot that is Halsey fight like having a political argument with the UNSC directors about like I want to make a Cortana, and they're like, no, we're not making a Cortana, right. And then she'll kind of go to Silver Team, who are already Spartans, right? They have their, like, neural lace or whatever in there. And she'll be like, go do some shenanigans that'll make it easier for me to make a Cortana. And they'll be like, yes, ma'am, because they can't question directives. Now, unfortunately, Master Chief can question directives because he found this wacky artifact. So he and this girl are on their spaceship trying to figure out where this artifact is taking them. So I think the plot of this season, and I am not at the final episode yet, little spoiler there, but I'm feeling like this season is leading towards Master Chief finds the halo, Halsey develops Cortana, and like that's where this season ends. Also, there is a human lady who works, like she's in charge of the Covenant. Well, that's the latest thing you've ever said. Yeah, that shouldn't... Mm, She's no. kind of like a child, and she dresses in all black, and she speaks their language, and she's like a chosen one. And I think she can activate the halo. Well, okay. I mean... See, Fred's upset because I just said a thing that wasn't in the stuff before. No, mm-hmm. I mean, if she's a human, she absolutely can activate the halo. That's fine. Um, yeah, but, but that's why they like her. They're like... Yeah, she, but, they, they, they have figured out that she can do this and they're like, hey, be our chosen one. And she's like, cool. But maybe 
she's a spy? She might be going to backstab him. I can't tell yet. She's reading, like, human stories, and we get, like, a flashback to when she was little and the Covenant attacked and, like, accident. Oh, they had, like, a, they had, like, a, like, a, imagine a Covenant, and people who don't know about the Halo, like, anything. I'm so sorry. This must be just the same garbage that I was <laughs> pinging the show for. Um, but, like, a Covenant-style dowsing rod, <laughs> and it, like, boop, 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 yeah. boop, and it found her, and they were like, great, bring her home. And now she's just been hanging around waiting to activate the halo for him. Right, yeah. No, that actually is pretty lore accurate, except... So, okay. Um, <laughs> the Covenant do do that. <laughs> Those wacky um, kidnappers. God, I'm... Uh, I don't even have Fred, time don't to even worry about it. I don't you have gotta, time no. to explain what I don't have That's time fine. to explain. Um, That's fine. We don't need to. We're going to see where the show goes. It's not about... It's Hey, it's not a good show if I have to read eight novels and play six video games. And that's going to bring us to our last thing. And just in time, Fred has his brain broken by Halo to tell us about this other thing that broke his brain. Fred, tell us about Chinese Detective Agency. Uh, yeah, Chinatown Detective Agency. Chinatown Detective Agency. Fantastic game. It does require four novels and six video games to understand, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, Pretty no, much. So, so it's, um, it's kind of like an 8-bit side-scroller type of thing, point-and-click adventure, heavily influenced from like the Carmen Sandiego types of games. Um, where you play as a former Interpol agent just running a private detective agency. Um, so ground level, you're just managing your money. You've got to pay rent. So you do jobs that will require you to buy plane tickets and you just, it's like a resource management. Got to do that. Where the game gets really cool is that there's a little tab at the bottom of your screen that says web browser and the game basically forces you to do your own research to fo- to figure out these clues. Um, so it'll give you like a quote. And yep, you got to pull up Google, put that quote into Google, find out who said it so you can research that author at a library in the game. Right? And so it's very like, it's not going to hold your hand. You have to do your own research. You have to be a detective to solve all these cases. And I thought that was really fun. Um there's like some puzzles where they'll just show you a picture of a stamp and say, okay, what city in the world did this stamp come from? And you just have to figure it out. And there's a couple clues on it. That'll give you like a little bit of a leeway. Uh, but they're not all in English. Um, one of the things I had to figure out was it had part of a name of a city on the stamp. But if you notice, a lot of the other city names were in French, so then I had to translate it all to French, and I was able to find the city that way, and it was a whole thing. Uh, But it's very, very, you're actually thinking this through, you have to do your own research, and it's a puzzle game. So, Jack, my first question goes to you, and then for Fred, I'm going to want you to respond to Jack's answer. Jack, it sounds as if what Chinatown Detective Agency is really good at doing is giving you prompts for puzzles mm-hmm. and then allowing you the space to solve those puzzles. I guess my question is, does that constitute a 
good video game. Oh. Um. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, a puzzle game is a whole genre. I don't know. I guess. I guess good is pretty subjective, but I would certainly call it a a video game. I don't think that's the question. How affect how good sure. is it at I guess doing that? Is the is the question? I I didn't hear that. How, how good what? is it at doing that? Um, it's really good at making you think. Um, you know, you're you're a private eye, so there are like a couple quick time sort of, or not quick time, but like light quick time events where you need to pull your gun to do a shootout. Um, but being point and click, it's not terribly like interactive. I think, um, I think the puzzles are the main thing for me and they're good puzzles. So I like puzzles. Yeah. (laughs) I I guess, I guess my question is just like, so in a, in my mind, in a thing that we're talking about as a puzzle game, right? Like even if it was a detective style puzzle game, like I'm thinking about the Sherlock Holmes games, right? Like you have to go to the neighborhood and you have to find the person you have to ask them the question and you have to already have the evidence that shows they're lying or whatever, right? Like that's how that works. This, and we just talked about, you know, hatching, which was also like a low, you know, this is, we wanted to spotlight indie stuff, right? That was good. And so that's why we picked these two things. And so like, this is an indie game and they had a low budget. So I do get on a certain level. It's like cost saving, but I guess the question that I'm trying to put out there is like, is it fair to just be like, hey, what's this stamp from? Go to the internet. Like, is that, you know? Um, right. No, that's fair. So, yeah, it, it did have a low budget. It started on Kickstarter about two years ago and then was finally released on PC Switch. It's on Game Pass as well. Um, I think, yeah, it, the puzzles are good puzzles like it's not just show you a picture of a stamp it does give you some basic clues that any reasonable person following like a like if you think about it they all make sense and it kind of tracks i'm a big fan of using like this real world type of knowledge to solve these things like it's not it feels more interactive for me as a player to have to know these things than have the game tell you these things and so actually learning it and becoming a detective is a lot more fun for me than watching Sherlock Holmes be good at being a detective. And so for an 8-bit game to like create that level of immersion, I think is really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, got a, it's got a range of, and this kind of goes to what Deepak was saying earlier about hatching. Uh, Chinatown Detective Agency has a range of reviews. Like some people are like, like Nintendo World was like nine out of ten, but then, you know, other folks were less were less bullish on it. Fred, where would you rank it on a one to ten scale? Um, I'm gonna give it a solid eight. I can already tell that replayability is not gonna be a thing here, just because you're gonna go in knowing all the answers. It doesn't really give you a ton of, like, it kind of gives you a little bit of a leeway in choice. Like there's three main people that you can choose to work for. So you can probably play this game like three times all the way through. Um, and that's, you know, that's fun. That's actually pretty good for an indie game. Like you don't always expect multiple playthroughs on things like this. So yeah, I'd give it a solid eight. Anything else you want to say about it? 
Oh yeah, the the uh, the time is day, month, year, which messed me up because I oh. buy plane tickets <laughs> and then I bought it for the next month and so the next day because it's like pretty unforgiving. Time's always moving forward. Time is pretty unforgiving. <laughs> So there you go. There are four things that came out this year that you may want to check out. And if our opinions on them influence that at all, there you have those as well. Guys, do you have pop culture recommendations before we head out? I'm bushed. I really do not have any more. Better Call Saul comes back this week as of we're recording it uh, for the final six episodes. Uh, This season has been amazing so far. No reason to think that it won't end just as well. Uh, So that's all I got right now. Uh, most of my time has actually been taken up by uh, Fire Emblem Three Hopes, just because uh, I needed a more like I need more three houses, but I didn't have any more three houses. So that is why they made that game. Mm. Um, Jack, what have you been playing? Gosh, what have I been playing? You started a real job, so <laughs> yeah, that hasn't helped. Pop um, culture recommendation: employment. I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Oh. Uh, I, I, um, I replayed the newest, what is it called? The newest Mario Party that's all of the old Mario Parties. I feel like nobody talked about that game after it came out, but it's really fun. I've been playing Elden Ring. I finally got back to Elden Ring and predictably can't do anything else, so. (laughs) Elden Ring's good. I'm moments away from becoming the Elden Lord, guys. I can feel it. Yeah, man. You going up in that big tree? Does that make you Elden Lord of the Ring? I don't know. That's exactly what it makes it, me it, That is sort of what uh, it this makes me, yeah. <laughs> this is... Tune into our El, our subscriber-exclusive Elden Ring episode next month to hear all of our thoughts on that. This has been Nerdy Here Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us find new friends and... Follow us, NIHF.com. We made it easy for you. It's all one site. Go there, subscribe. You get everything we do straight to the old inbox. And as always, don't forget to tune in next week to hear. We really need new friends. We literally only know each other. I'll give you 200 bucks for all of them.